Hello and welcome back to the Statesman Sports Desk Podcast. I'm your host, Dalton Renshaw. As always, I'm here with Jason Walker. Jason, how's it going? Could be better. We're about to talk about something that really hurts, but I'm also a little sick, so if I sound like a dying yak, Is this that's illness why. exclusively due to... Utah State's basketball play? Who knows? Probably <laughs> It's probably due to my own basketball play because I exercise too much for a person of my body type. <laughs> Isn't that what they tell you you're supposed to do, though? I mean, well, again, I played probably five or six hours of basketball over a couple days stretch, so... Hmm. Consecutively? Not kids. It was over a stretch of a couple of days. <laughs> it's hard to do five or six hours of anything consecutively for a couple of days. Yeah, for for basketball players like, you know, Utah State and really any yeah. serious basketball player, that's nothing. But for a guy who's, you know, getting into his mid to late 20s and really fat. Well, it's giving you this nice little, like, uh, a silky Sam Elliott deep voice, though, so that's good. <laughs> Maybe that'll enhance the pod this episode. And now, the Statesman Sports Desk. Perfect. It's <clears> like we have a... Yeah. I was trying to think of the name of the. We're just gonna end on that. No, no. I was trying to think of Darth Vader's name, uh, Earl Jones something. James Earl Jones. James Earl Jones. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. So we got Vader on this podcast. I am. Nope. I'm gonna try that. <laughs> okay. Well, let's 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 start talking about basketball before this gets too far off. Yeah, the we already did a Star Wars segment last time. Yeah, that's right. Um, so Utah State uh, over the past three games hasn't been great. That is one way to put it. Um, <laughs> they've managed to go and lose their past three games, um, all against Mountain West opponents, uh, which isn't probably the start of the season that they were hoping for. It's their first and second back-to-back losses in the Craig Smith era. Mm-hmm. So, not and very it was, good. Uh, the um, San Diego State game uh, last Saturday was also their first loss at home in nearly a year since that Fresno yeah, State game. Some 360 days. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, a common theme. We've we've been able to isolate at least one or two common themes between these three games, and you could say, um, and probably more than these three games this season, um, some of these things have been going wrong. First off, they're shooting, right? Yeah. Shooting over the past three games, what has their percentage dropped down to? So in those three games just isolated, it's 37.3 overall, uh, 25.7 from three, and then 69.8% on free throws, which is not very nice. No, it's not It's not nice. It's, not it's nice. almost nice, but it's not. I mean, Utah State's one of the top free throw shooting teams in terms of attempts this season. Even during this stretch, they're one of the more frequent free throw shooters. But they're also missing a ton. You had guys, I think, early in the season, there were two guys, Alfonso Anderson and Sam Merrill, both in the high 80s or 90s. And they're both... They're both probably still doing all right, but overall the team's just not doing very well. Um, it's, I don't, it's just everyone just seems to be missing. They're going one yeah. for two at the line. Missing the front end of one-and-ones. And then everywhere else they're missing shots too. Free throws were always kind of a supplement. They were a, a key part of the offense. Well, it's one of those things where like, if everything else is working, you could probably get away with missing a couple. But when those things yeah. aren't working, they're really crucial. Yeah, it just seems like every part of their offense has fallen apart, which is why you see them on a three-game losing streak. Earlier, you'd see parts of their games drop off. So while they struggled against, you know, Florida, against North Texas, and and against Fresno State and some other some other games, they were able to pull out wins because other parts of their game were working. 
but then you have this and everything just falls apart. They can't shoot. They can't do anything. And they're not defending as well. They've allowed more and more points in each of these losses. 70 to UNLV. 77 to San Diego State and 79 to Air Force. It's just their defense is progressively playing not as good. They're still really good on the defensive end, but there's only so good you can play on defense when your offense sucks. Right. It's kind of like football in ways and a lot of other sports. If your defense, if your offense is terrible, it bleeds into the defense, mm-hmm. even if it, you have an elite defense because you can't rely entirely on your defense to win games. At some point, you got to put points on the board. That's the name of every sport. Yeah, and there were there were nights <clears throat> last season where you know they didn't shoot the best, but their defense was able to kind of correct that and bring a win and you know that's how they ended up not going or going the whole season not losing back-to-back games because you know eventually a defense or some other facet of the game would step up right um but uh, let's let's take these three games for example um san diego state obviously coming into the game the number 13 team in the nation you could expect a loss there or you could at least um understand a loss in that situation but unlv and air force both teams going into those games um, the, the assumption was that they were going to pull out a win, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like I said, you can expect a loss against San Diego State, even at home and even considering Utah State's pretty good home record. But, yeah, yes, it's on the road at UNLV and at Air Force. Those are tough things, and Coach Smith will talk up how hard it is to play in those places, and it's not easy. No. Obviously, it's never easy to play no. on the road, especially in an environment like Air Force, which may not be known for its crowd. I'm not too familiar, but it's in altitude. Mm-hmm. And it's it's always difficult to play there. Then UNLV, historically good crowd, and obviously a tough place to play in a historic program. But these are teams with the preseason expectations Utah State had. These should have been wins, and they should have been fairly convincing wins. And the fact that you not only lost, but both of them were by double digits. You lost by 17 to UNLV, and then by 19 to Air Force. Yeah. That just should not happen. Well, and and Air Force, it should, no, it shouldn't happen. It really shouldn't. And and Air Force, you know, coming in as the number one three point team shooting, uh, three point shooting team in the conference, then to go on top of that, Ryan Swan with thirty points, thirty one points in the game, they did everything they needed to do, and Utah State, conversely, did everything they needed to do to give the game away. Right? Yeah. Two of nineteen three point shooting, um, or. Excuse me. Was that? Let me go back to my notes just to make sure I have the right. No, that one they actually did pull it out. That one was the <laughs> one that I've actually been able to shoot pretty well. I, I had a feeling I got that one wrong. Yeah, three point shooting against Air Force was actually okay. Yeah. Largely because Brock Miller, we we wasted a good Brock Miller game mm-hmm. on a nineteen point loss, mm-hmm. uh, where he went five of nine from three. Well, although you mentioned shooting, I just kind of a random stat: the thirty-five point seven. That's the first time they've cracked 35%, gone over 35% on three-pointers since November 22nd against LSU, Mm -hmm. where they made, I forget exactly what it was. It was a ridiculous number, I think. Their three-point shooting against LSU was 50% against LSU. They made 11 of 22, their their second highest um, against a Division I in terms of three-pointers made. Mm -hmm. So they've they've not shot very well. And, again, that's actually excluding – non-Division one games. They they shot 38% from three against St. Catherine and 39% against Eastern Oregon. But again, those are non-Division one opponents. It's really hard. you got to kind of just take those out right. and view it from that point of view. 
So it was actually the uh, UNLV game that they shot two of 19 from three. And UNLV actually is one of the lower three-point shooting teams in the conference, and they only shot five of 19 on the night. So I'm actually curious if you can go back in your memory that far. Um, what, what do you think it was specifically that one that made them lose by such a high number? Because, I mean, just looking at the box score, uh, besides maybe a couple places where you could say UNLV shot decently from three-point or from uh, free throw excuse me they out-rebounded Utah State but what was it specifically you think that caused that loss well unfortunately this was a game I didn't get to watch live (laughs) so I can't see too much I watched bits of it later but ultimately Utah State again it was their own shooting Mm -hmm. and they had 15 turnovers yeah so I mean really and then again it was their awful shooting themselves 32% overall you know 10.5%, 10.5%, mm-hmm. you mentioned the 2 of 19 from 3, which is almost historically bad for right. Utah State. It's just, you know, in UNLV they shot 54% on two-pointers. So, like, they didn't have the greatest three-point shooting game, but they were able to make buckets in other areas. Mm-hmm. And, again, out-rebounding Utah State. That's something Utah State's not really experienced too much under Craig Smith. They typically out-rebound teams. Yeah. But lately they've been getting out-rebounded, even by Air Force. Like, people always talk about Utah State as one of the taller teams in the nation. Granted, that's because they have three guys over seven foot, but two of them don't really play much. Right. I think two of them average like three minutes a game uh, when fully healthy. But in the last three games, Utah State's being out-rebounded by an average of 39 to 27. They, They went through about half the season and were somewhere around plus 15 or so. Mm-hmm. Maybe that might have been last season, but they were like double-digit rebounding advantage just about every game. Yeah. Now they're getting out-rebounded by double digits at times. And I don't know what it is. Justin Bean was leading the nation in rebounds. He might still be. Yeah. He, I think he had a bit of a lead. I think he's still he's still top three, I believe, in uh, rebounds. And he's still top four in double-doubles. So, I mean, he's still up there in a lot of yeah. those statistics. But they, they can't rebound anymore. I don't know what happened. Maybe Nimesh Keda has kind of upset the balance of rebounding a little bit. Yeah. Um, I don't think Bean's gotten a double-double since Keda kind of made his second full return. Mm-hmm. Um, which I guess has just been two games, so it's right. not it's not a huge streak. But I don't know what it is. Just all the things that felt like made Utah State good aren't there. Yeah, the passing isn't there. They're still getting assists, but that's because every single basket they make, they can't really create isolation plays. So yeah. they're generally going to have higher assist numbers anyway. But they can't shoot where they were shooting earlier in the season. Hmm. Can't rebound or they aren't rebounding. They're not making free throws even when they're getting them. So just seemingly everything about them that made them good mm-hmm. isn't happening. So let's actually, let's talk about, um, I, I want to talk about Mius especially um, with some of the injury concerns and really the ro- the roster um, for the, as a whole this season playing into maybe what's kind of turned into the end product they have now. But before we do, before we move on that, let's kind of just close out this shooting portion. I just want to read a couple quotes from a, from a great story by Jason Walker that ran in the, <laughs> the Statesman after the, Utah, or after the San Diego State game. Because um, I think it just gives a lot of context if you haven't seen these or heard these from Craig Smith um, about how he feels currently about the situation. Um, 
a couple times putting it that we've been inconsistent. There's no doubt about that. Um, trust me, I wish I had the answer for the shooting problems. I've been trying to figure that out for months. Uh, even Namish Keita speaking on it, saying, I think we're doing all the things right. We're just not hitting shots. That's the problem. Uh, we'll snap out of it or we'll try to snap out of this really quick. Um, it, it almost seems like the team's just confused as anybody else is to why this problem keeps occurring. And that might be part of, you know, shooting is one of those fickle things where you kind of almost have to shoot yourself out of the slump. And maybe that has to do or that plays into a little bit why they've continued with these inconsistencies and poor performances, because there's no true black or white you know, situation to put yourself in where you can fix a, kind of a problem like that, it seems. Yeah. Well, the thing is, just this shooting struggle has been going on for longer than this three game shoot, this three game stretch. Yeah. It's been particularly awful. But you go back, I mean, so the first six games, I, I kind of broke the season down into so the first six games, games one through six, and then games seven through 18. My notes, I say seven through 15, but that's not what I calculated. <laughs> so in the games first through six, in terms of national ranks for field goal percentage, they were 51st in field goal percentage. I didn't write down what the actual percentages were. It's not terribly important, but I think they were around 48%. Okay. And they were 45th in three-point percentage, and they were doing pretty well. They were probably, I think they were north of 35%. Uh, and then Sam Merrill in particular, I wrote down his individual stats, so 18.5 points down from the season before. And there were some concerns for him, and some of them related to health. Like he wasn't as dynamic in terms mm-hmm. of and he's never been a super dynamic player to begin with, but he was even less so, and it was impacting his two-point percentage. I think it was in the mid-30s, mm-hmm. his two-point percentage. That's, that's appalling. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's really worrying. So. So he was 43.3% overall, but the thing is, I mentioned his two-point percentage was down. His three-point percentage was at career levels, yeah. like, absurd. He was at 54.8, which is crazy. He was somewhere around seven attempts per game. He was shooting lights out. Then he was at 90% free throws. So he was a 50-40-90 guy, <laughs> but in the weird yeah. way. <clears throat> untraditional, you Yeah, untraditional. Uh, games 7 through 18, Utah State down to 196th in that span in the nation. You're looking at some 350 teams. Uh, 288th in three-point percentage. They're down to around 32 or something percent. And then Sam Merrill, his points per game has gone down to 16.5, so only down by two, but his field goal percentage is at 40. Uh, his three-point percentage is down to 31.7 in yeah. that span. And free throws, 84.4, which is oh, is good for most people. It's below average for Sam Merrill. Mm-hmm. So not a very good stretch these last. So you're going back almost first few weeks of the season is where some right. of these shooting struggles began. That, that cutoff, so game six, I believe, was LSU. I made yeah. the cutoff after the LSU game. So from North Texas onward. So November 24th being the North North Texas game until now, that's the span we're looking at. So it's most of the season, two-thirds of the season, we're looking at where the shooting trouble has been going on intermittently. There's been periods where it's been better, especially the non-Division I games, but in other times they've had okay shooting games. Uh, But I know you mentioned reading off some quotes. There's one from Abel Porter, I believe it was, after I can't remember which game it was. Um, it might have been Fresno State, mm-hmm. but he said, "We've got a whole season of shooting that shows that we're a good shooting team, or you know, a whole season of stats." And I can't remember if it was Abel Porter or Sam Merrill. It was one of those guys on the team that said they have a full season of stats that shows they're a good shooting team. Like, look at last year; they were a good shooting team. They were an elite shooting team. Yeah, but Sam Merrill was, you know, high thirties. 
Diogo Brito was at 39-point-something percent. Abel Porter was above 40%. Well, last season they were uh, shooting twos. They were 47th in the nation shooting 47%. And, and threes, they weren't elite, like you're saying, but still 35% as a team. That's good enough to get you in the top 100. Yeah. So they had good shooters. Now the only person who's really shooting okay is Sam Merrill. But again, when you look at this span, he's not shooting very well. And I think in the last three games he's just shooting awful. I can't remember exactly why I didn't save his percentages, but they're not very good. And, yeah. of course, they're not good for anybody on the team. Right. So, and, you know, I wonder how much do you think the the amount of games, because that cutoff is a good cutoff for a couple reasons. Obviously, you have the opponents played, you know, up until that point and then after. But then it's also a good cutoff to because it shows after that game they played nine games in the span of 30 days. How much do you think that amount, I mean, that's essentially you're playing a game every three days, which isn't necessarily um, when you get into the meat of the schedule. That's not necessarily uh, something that's unfamiliar for these players, but it is a little bit overloaded. Um, do you think that that maybe a fatigue factor has kind of played into the end product we're seeing now? Um, maybe. The thing is, they had a couple of breaks there where they had four or five days of rest. You look after St. Mary's, they had a decent amount of rest, and they went to San Jose State, shot 42% and 23% from three. They're also traveling a lot over this. It's probably yes. my second point to bring up about the schedule. And, and those things can come into play. But in the end, everybody's traveling. Everybody's tired. Everybody's not healthy. You know, Coach Smith, the entire season has been bringing up health. And yeah. it's a legitimate thing. He's not just BSing here. Sam Merrill's not healthy. Yeah. Mia Skeeta hasn't been healthy all season. Multiple people are banged up. I mean, uh, Justin Bean had surgery on his face early in the season. Yeah. You know, there's there's injuries and sicknesses going around and have been for pretty much the entire season, but everybody has those. San Diego State was missing two of their best big men coming into the game. Yeah. I mean, the, the writer who came in uh, to, you know, we were talking in the in the media room, he was saying he was expecting San Diego State to lose for that reason. <laughs> And San Diego State comes out and pretty oh, much dominates Utah State. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, okay, like, yes. Um, although, interestingly enough, one of the things he brought up, and he's done some digging into the subject, uh, is the the balls that uh, the Mountain West is using. Hmm. Um, he's done a whole thing. And San Diego State, he's kind of riled up the San Diego State fan base in that regard because of that, is the San Diego State players don't like the ball that's being hmm. used. Um, and, and let me just kind of break off on that for a second just to get some clarification is is that the new like data tracking technology balls that yeah so when they introduce the new data tracking so like a lot of times they'll practice and they have their their old ones that they're using yeah um but the new ones they're nike basketballs and they have a chip in there if you look closely you can see where the chip is at or at least where they put it in yeah but it's a new version of the basketball and from what it was described i i don't know if i've held one actually but apparently the the grooves in it are shallower and the the uh Material, at least the texture, yeah. is different. Interesting. Again, I can't tell you specifics because I've not held one, so I couldn't tell you. Yeah. Oh, I heard one comment. I think it was from a San Diego State player that was relayed to me from this writer. He said it was an outdoor ball, <laughs> which is not good. No, that's not good. If, if anybody's ever played extensive basketball in any capacity, there you can definitely tell a huge difference between indoor and outdoor balls. Yeah. And in the same way, he asked Sam Merrill after the game, and Sam Merrill was like, yeah, it's not my favorite ball. Like, mm. you know, For a guy who's always as diplomatic as Sam Merrill yeah. and never says anything out of turn, 
he admitted that it wasn't his favorite ball, which probably means, which, I mean, if you want to read too much into it, he right. may be pissed about it yeah. or not. I don't know. Yeah, but <laughs> again, he's not making excuses for it, but you can tell maybe it's bothering them. Maybe that's it. There's, I think there's some data to suggest that because they've been using these balls when they've played Mountain West games, I believe. Yeah. And you look at their Mountain West shooting and it's awful. Mm. I mean, starting with San Jose, that was the first time they probably were forced to play with those balls and they shot terribly. And in all these last three Mountain West games, they've mm. shot awful. Against Fresno State, they were awful. So that maybe, actually, maybe that, there's there's correlation. Yeah. Causation is maybe a different story. But at this point, we're kind of grasping for straws on why they're shooting so badly. Because yeah. they've gone, it's Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. They went from a good top 50 team in the country out of some 350 teams to bottom third. Yeah. In short, in such a short span, too, and yeah. with, without really, you know, too much change on the roster, too many other factors coming yeah. in that, that should they, they should have gotten better. They got right. Kata back. That's the guy who can shoot fifty something percent right from the field, and being efficient. I think he's shot near that. I don't know what his shooting stats are. I don't think he's had too many bad games. I, I kind of just to touch on that point about the balls. That would actually be a really interesting. <laughs> kind of analysis to do of the percentages. I'm, I'm looking at just the, the Mountain West three-point shooting right now, and that doesn't factor in, or it factors in uh, non-conference games. So that's not exactly going to be accurate, but it would be interesting to see, to go back through all the teams' Mountain West games and factor in what three-point shooting percentage is compared to, like, last season or something like that. Because, I mean, I would... I would. I mean, it's similar to like you talk about in baseball, where you know, um, the players can feel a difference if you know the balls are, as they say, juiced or whatever. You know, yeah. you can hit the ball farther. So stuff like that does make a difference. Yeah, and you can if those at home want to want to try and look at this yourself. You can watch the game. Just any video there is. Just find a video of the game. The newer ones are more bright orange. Yeah. The others are more of kind of a darker burgundy or whatever. Yeah, more color the traditional it is. color. So you, you can kind of look at that yourself, and you look at the conference. Shooting statistics for Utah State, I mean, they're 10th and two-point percentage, yeah. 11th and three-point percentage. So yeah. that's just Telling. a small sample size. Yeah. Um, well, so let's uh, – did you do – were you able to pull up those NIMI numbers? Of the... I did. So he's shooting 59.4%, which is good, very that's good. good. Um, let's, let's touch on NIMI because that will kind of uh, bring us into the next portion of this kind of Utah State regression I'd like to talk about, and that's uh, – you know, we've – touched on a little bit before but the health um last season they had uh, you know all of their starters um including uh diogo brito um all were available for literally every single game this season all 35 um and this season obviously the the troubles with nimi getting back and getting back healthy i think is also something to keep in mind getting back confident um he's only played six games this season um and like you're saying he's kind of back on a second stint which has only been two games um and you've had other players like sam's been available for every game he hasn't dressed for a couple but that's probably you know for other factors just yeah it was it was because it was against saint Catherine and eastern oregon exactly so. so you can't really factor that in but um but players are playing through injuries, like you mentioned Justin Bean before the season with the uh, facial surgery he had, and then you have um, some some other injuries that has been kind of fighting through little knocks throughout the season, and it seems like a lot of players are fighting through those knocks. Sam Merrill also over the last couple games has supposedly been fighting through some things as well. So um, 
I don't think health can be understated um, in, in a situation like this where now you're coming into the heart of conference play. You started off with a UNLV game. We well, started off your second stint, right? You had those first two games yeah. in December. but And then you come straight into a game against San Diego State, who's the best team in conference. And then, like we kind of alluded to earlier, go on the road to play Air Force, who, um, for all accounts, has a pretty decent um, home crowd to play against. And uh, it, it, it really is you know, a combination of a bunch of things, but health being one of them, how much do you, how much of that, uh, or, or if the pie, you know, how much of the piece of the pie do you think the health has played into it? Oh, I don't know if I want to nail a percentage down. You don't have to nail a percentage. For Sam Merrill, it's a lot. Yeah. Um, I think it has a lot to do with why he's struggling. Um, for the rest of the team, I wouldn't say so much. But the thing is, the team kind of goes as Sam Merrill goes. Right. So there's a lot of bleed over from Sam Merrill's um, injury struggles into the team's struggles as a whole. Yeah. Um, L- let me phrase this a different way, because um, this is also something I've been thinking about and had conversations with a couple people about. Um, when you're not shooting as well on the perimeter, right, you're forced to do other things. And Sam Merrill has always been kind of one of those players. While he's not the most dynamic player, he does enjoy getting to the paint and getting to the basket and trying to make things happen that way. The more he does that, and you know, with the limitations he has athletically, and going in there constantly, getting knocked up or getting knocked up. Wow! <laughs> hopefully, that's not what's going to happen. Getting knocks on his body. Um, that that would be a whole getting different knocked around. We'll, we'll Sorry, Sam, if you're listening to this. I hope I didn't imply anything with you and your wife. <laughs> He's a married man. Yeah. Come on. Um, but but you see what I'm saying? Where you know they're trying to force things in the paint more, and you're not getting the shots to fall on the perimeter. Do you think that's played into the way that they've kind of you know, it's it's you know forcing things not always the best approach to do, and sometimes can even. So you're talking about forcing more two point shots, mm-hmm. or yeah. well, so they've always been a more volume two point shooting team. They were last year. Um, cause they've, but efficiently is the, is the thing. Yeah, they were efficiently because they only had three really good shooters right. on the team. I mean, there were three really good shooters, but yeah. there were only three of them. Um, and then Brock Miller was shooting some 35, so he was okay for the most part. So, But you the, most of their lineups, they had Quinn Taylor and Justin Bean and those guys. Plus Namiya Keda, you're looking at two interior guys, mm-hmm. you know, so less of the four out that everyone seems to be trying to go to with the stretch fours. All right. But again, in college, you can kind of get away with that, and they did because they were a good offensive team. Not a great offensive team, but a good one. So they were able to create those things, partly because they were shooting well from the perimeter, well enough, and had some gravity on the outside. And you also had a much healthier Sam Merrill, who was able to make you know, good enough plays, get to the rim. You know, and he was also finishing a lot better. His finishing touch just hasn't been there around the rim. Yeah. Maybe that's tied to uh, his injuries because what's hurting him most is his ankles. That's yeah. that's where the injuries are. It wasn't he had those? It was in the summer he was dealing with that, and it's just never really been solved. And so maybe that's affecting him. Maybe he's not getting enough verticality, or like it's just throwing off of his, you know, all of his different motions that he yeah. does when he goes for a layup, and he is getting hit or, you know, knocked around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just I'm about, so sorry, Sam. <laughs> just about every time he goes to the basket. It was kind of true last year, but this time it seems like he goes up and he knows how to fall down. Yeah, um, which is a, a very nice skill for a guy to have. But he's still hitting the ground every time, and he's not getting foul calls very often, or at least not as often, especially earlier in the season. Mm-hmm. Felt like the whistles haven't quite been coming. Um, so oh, there's just a, a whole bunch of factors because again, there's Utah State still there first in the conference in two point attempts, but they're not making them. And they're not making their threes. Mm-hmm. So 
just like where can you get your points from? Yeah. Because you're not, there's no gravity to the perimeter because nobody's making their threes. And so you, you're able to pack the paint a little more, which just kind of creates this vicious cycle of, well, we can't make twos to kind of get ourselves in a rhythm shooting. We can't make threes to break out of, you know, maybe make the defense force adjustments. And that's the biggest thing I would say with the Utah State offense is they haven't been able to break apart a defense. They can't crack it open and find, you know, exploit a defense for its flaws. Right. They were able to do that last year, even with some limited amount of shooters and things like that. And last year they relied a lot on transition too. Yeah. I mean, when you're not able to play that quick transition game, and to to go into that, a lot of their transition buckets were coming from the three point line too. So yeah, it's, you take that out, and you know you're kind of left with a different situation. Yeah. So again, it's that's the problem when you try and analyze a, an offense. Try to say, well, what's wrong? Again, I've said this probably six times. Everything is wrong. Yeah. There's not a single thing going right for this offense right now, which is the most mind-boggling thing. I can't name one thing on offense they're doing well. Unless you want to say assist, but again, that's just a factor of literally any bucket they get is like the, it seems like the 15 yeah. they can just manage, period. You're kind of just falling into assist at that point. Yeah. So uh, something I'm trying to quickly put together here, put on my math hat, um, the the top five excuse me top four scores are all I would say you know well Justin being discluded so maybe my theory is not going to go over we'll cut this out <laughs> I had a theory and I kept looking back and forth um, and for Craig Smith he emphasizes getting the most efficient shot or at least the easiest shot to make that being just a shot around the rim but they're not making those shots so yeah. uh, they've had to find scoring in other ways and if you can't make the easiest shot in the game. That's a problem. Yeah. So if you were to put on your put on your uh, basketball doctor hat, um, your doctor, I almost said James Andrews. No, what's the Rick Naismith? Was that James Naismith? James Naismith. Yeah. Doctor James. Doctor James Naismith. Uh, and you're gonna have to diagnose this situation. We've already kind of diagnosed it. Get a new peach basket. We have to. Well, we also don't play at the YMCA, so that could be a problem. <laughs> um. What kind of what kind of prescription are you passing out to the team? How how do you think that this team can go about solving these or at least correcting them, in in somewhat of a way? Well, the thing that I that's coming to my mind is I've tried to, you know, go through this very thing myself. Mm-hmm. I'd have to watch the games again. I've watched most of these games. I've only missed one or two games watching. Um, but I'd have to go back and watch them again to kind of see how much. Utah State ran in terms of sets. Yeah. Um, because multiple times this season, Craig Smith has talked about how we didn't really run very many sets. And usually that was against lesser teams, mm-hmm. the St. Catharines, Eastern Oregons, and uh, whoever they played in their exhibition game, and some other teams that they were expecting to beat by 30, you know, North right. Carolina A&T. And I'm wondering if he's increased the number of sets because – the thing to understand about this team is they're not very athletic. They're, it's one of the most athletic teams they've ever had in history. Yeah. And they're not. They're still not very athletic compared right. to the rest of the league, especially against teams like UNLV, San Jose State, and again, um, New Mexico. I was gonna say Air Force, but Air Force is actually one of the teams they'll be more athletic yeah. than, generally speaking. Um, even though they do have advantages in length and things like that, they're not very quick. They don't have much ball handling. They don't have a ton of playmaking. You know, they have smart players, but they don't have the, you know, when I say play, just the ability to make a play, you know, beat your guy off the dribble or, 
you know, dynamic types of plays. Which that's not the end all be all of the basketball player, but you like to have those, you know, kind of diverse, you know, you have your shooters, you have your dynamic playmakers, you have your bigs, and Utah State's just kind of all in on smart players, guys who are supposed to be good shooters, and some bigs. Right. And you, again, you can get away with that in college basketball. They did last year. They didn't have any dynamic players last year. Their most dynamic scorer was Dwayne Brown, who ended up sitting on the bench most of the back half of the season. So when you don't have dynamic players, you got to rely a little more on sets. And they did last year. They were really good with some of their sets, and they were able to create open passes, wide open guys. They are able to create advantages, like Sam Merrill can't really beat his guy off the dribble, but they'd set him up where he's able to get downhill, and once he starts running downhill, he's hard to stop. Because mm. he had that finishing touch around the rim where he'd draw a foul, yeah. or even a pull-up two or a pull-up three. That was how he got a lot of his points last season. And they were able to set up Namish Kato with some nice sets, either him... You know, beating his guy really quick. Because you look at his post-up game last year, like, one of the things I was surprised with Kata is how mediocre his post-game actually was. Yeah. I thought that was his most dominant thing just kind of after the end of the season. Oh, he's a good post-up player. Then I went back and I was like, okay, not really. They, but, they put him in a lot of good opportunities. Yeah that, yeah, that was the thing. They put him in really good opportunities, mismatches, or a situation where uh, they had this funky, it's, it's kind of like a pick and roll, but... Mm-hmm. It was a ball reversal to a post. Mm-hmm. Like, Nemeus Cato would screen. They'd ball reverse to... It's hard to describe. But they'd end up getting Nemeus Cato on the post. He'd be, like, half-fronting the guy. Yeah. Kind of, like, side-to-side, um, perpendicular to the baseline. Mm-hmm. You get the ball, roll into the basket, make a shot. An excellent opportunity for him. He didn't have to go through the whole back-and-down post roll, whatnot. And that makes that post up much more efficient because post-ups are an extremely inefficient play, mm-hmm. even with the best of them. You know, or I should say, just except for the like top 0.1% yeah. of post-up guys, that shot's going to be generally inefficient. So they put their guys in really good positions last year, and this year it just feels like they're not. You see so much inefficiency in terms of, you know, you get Justin Bean, you know, driving around just inside the three-point line looking for something. There's nothing there for him to go to, and he's yeah. not a dynamic player. No. He's generally much better as a finisher and in, uh, and things like that. So you're not really getting or finding effective shots because their sets aren't working or they're just not running them, and they're not dynamic enough to beat anybody off the dribble. So they can't break down a defense with one person. They have to do it with five people. Mm-hmm. And you need good sets to do that. And I think Craig Smith can do that. The question is, and again, I'd have to go back and really see if this theory works, is this, you know, how much are they running sets and how well are they running them? So. Well, and it's important to keep notice of because when you when you look at the roster, you say uh, Sands Nimi because he's still kind of trying to work himself back into the lineup. You have Justin Bean. You have Kuba Karbashki when he's on the court. Uh, somebody Trevin Dorius. You have... You look at the bigs, and none of them are uh, like first-rate scores. As as many good things as they do, and you know Justin Bean especially is as many good things as he does on the court, which you know far merits him being on the court. Not saying that, but he's not a scorer. He he can yeah. score in opportunities, but like you're saying, when you're not getting the opportunities given to you, and you're not running those sets to get your players open and get them in good shooting opportunities, they're not the kind of players that are going to make things happen for themselves. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. A lot of these guys are very opportunistic and very good at capitalizing opportunities. Justin Bean, obviously, as mentioned, is probably one of the best on the team, along with Sam Merrill. Yeah. And the opportunities he does create for himself tend to be offensive rebounds. He's That's his probably most elite skill, yeah. is creating, at least in terms of creation, is his offensive rebound into points. 
He's very good. I think he created like 20 points <laughs> once on, on offensive rebounds alone. I, I did the math. He had, it was the game where he had like seven or eight of them. Yeah. And all of them, I think, resulted in points. He's a natural treasure. Yeah. He just – he is. So – yeah, but yeah, there are not a lot of shot creators. There are a lot of shot finishers and opportunity finishers, but you can't finish opportunities when you don't have them, and Utah State doesn't have them right now. They were able to create them last year enough. You know, the only times they didn't were against, you know, it, it was kind of the problem with the team last year when they ran up against Washington. Mm-hmm. They couldn't create opportunities against them. So that's a good good point to kind of turn this around long term. Um they play Washington in the NCAA tournament last year. What's the path to getting to the NCAA tournament now where you've already dropped some Mountain West tournament or Mountain West regular season games? Um, the, the chances of them winning the outright title are probably pretty slim now. Yeah, the regular season now. It's They'd have to beat San Diego State, and San Diego State would have to lose at least two more games, as would probably a couple of other teams. Because you're going to have, I mean, three losses in the Mountain West, that's what most of the conference winners are going to have at the end of the season. Precisely. And you're five games in on a, how many do they play, 20, 19, or something like that? Yeah, they play, well, they play each team twice, so they play 20 games. No, okay. they don't play each team twice. They, they, they play, play 18. Play, yeah, they play yeah. two teams once, right. and then they play everyone else twice. Yeah. Um, so, okay, that that's probably not an option anymore. It's not in their hands, as they say. Um, so now you're looking at, the chances of them going through the Mountain West tournament and winning that. That's probably their most likely option because um, already dropping this many games, 13-5 and five on the season right now, with not a ton of room to grow with the player, or with the teams that are on the schedule for the rest of the season in terms of getting up the rankings, getting up the national recognition. Although I know they did start in you know the top 15, so that probably counts for something. Yeah. But it won't count for enough when you look at all the the models of RPI and stuff like that. It's not going to be a big enough factor to get them in thinking, you know, possibly being on the bubble at the end of the season to get an at-large bid. Yeah. At this point, the at-large bid is the Air Force lost, killed the dead. Yeah. It was already on its last limbs after losing to UNLV and San Diego State back-to-back. Um, more so the UNLV game. Losing to San Diego State is understandable, but you lost at home by nine points. Right. Which... Again, maybe you could have overcome that, but Utah State would have to go undefeated in the regular season the rest of the way. And, I mean, the thing is, they'd also have to, like, win all of the conference tournament games, but then they just get in anyway. Right. So, like, that's the kind of thing you'd have to see from them to get an at-large bid, which if they did the things to get an at-large bid, they'd just go anyway. So, at this point, your best bet is to find a way to overcome this at least for the three or so game stretch for the conference tournament which they very well could win the conference tournament this is a good team yeah they can win it they can get hot they did last year and you know they figure out some of these troubles and start shooting better and they don't need to be an elite shooting team but if they can combine good shooting with their really good defense because that's the thing we've kind of focused on offense this is still a really good defensive team at heart and especially when Nemeas gets more and more healthy that'll just make it even more scary because they'll have legit rim protection this is a team that ranked in the, you know, near the bottom in terms of blocks yeah. earlier in the season, but they were one of the best defensive teams. So if you can combine some good shooting with that defense, they can very easily win the conference tournament. And that's a, if you want to refocus and think about, okay, here's the positives. It really is something that's still very much attainable because you think if if 
like if it does go well for them as in they can continue to keep getting healthier and keep you know gelling to some to the same capacity they were in last season where it looked like the chemistry was just you know on top pretty much throughout the whole season and then you know think about getting a top five seed in the mountain west tournament get that you know get that by the first round and then you're going into you know a little bit more manageable of of a, a matchup and yeah i mean they, they they even had some um some I, I wouldn't say their limitations they had some challenges last season in the tournament you know in that first game they did come out and blow out fresno state in the second game but um the first one wasn't easy and so you know you, you think really that's what basketball is about it's about really anything can happen in, in, in a given game so yeah. just get yourself in that position and things can still very much happen to get yourself to the tournament yeah and that really just needs to be the end goal is win the conference tournament get to the the ncaa tournament because that's about the only way you can salvage this season in terms of the preseason expectations you've already lost the chance for the most part unless something miraculous happens to win to repeat as you know the dual champions of the regular season and conference tournament so Make what you can. Try and get Sam Merrill his NCAA tournament win. Yeah, it'll be a lot harder now because at yeah. best you're going to be like a 12 or a 13 seed, um, maybe 11 if you again. That's if you like go undefeated the rest yeah. of the way. So, I would uh, say let, let's let's look at this real quick before we wrap things up. Um, the larger scale of the Mountain West this season, obviously. We've seen what San Diego State can do, a, a wonderful defensive team, and they can bring enough offensively to get things done. But you look around the rest of the Mountain West, and it's not necessarily as scary as it was last season. Yeah. We're well, just saying something because it wasn't very scary last year. Right. It, it really is, you know, you would have thought Utah State would be involved in this, but now it's just San Diego State. Utah State still talent-wise is probably up in that top three as well, but the rest of the conference is, you know, completely you can go three to 11 almost yeah and mismatch those teams so i mean things are still probably probably still in utah state's favor as poor as things have gone if they can put all the pieces together yeah that, that's the big thing though that's a big if the season's not over but it's things need to turn around and fast so okay well i think that's probably uh probably all we're going to cover for days we've we've Done a deep dive into yeah. Utah State's basketball there. Things, are, things aren't great right now, but things have the opportunity to turn around. Um, they have a really big game coming up this weekend against uh, Nevada at home, who, I mean, especially, you know, you look at the game last season, um, as heated as that was, as great of a finish as that was, if you can get a win against a team like that at home again, um, that, you know, by all accounts, could spark a little bit of a comeback, a little yeah, bit of a run. Well, if they lose that game, then I um, <laughs> just I knock my mic we're try- over. <laughs> we're also trying to end this on somewhat of a positive <laughs> note. We've done all our deep dive here. Let's give the give the fans something to hope about, right? Um, no, that's not what this is about. I was going to make a joke about the fire extinguisher, so. <laughs> please do, please do. The floor is yours. Uh, <laughs> that's that's well, all I got to do is mention it. Yeah, it's it's comedy gold. Just mention the fire extinguisher. Well, know. they just need to play Sweet Caroline every time that there Nevada's up at the free throw line. There we go. That's what we need to do. Um, and I'll, maybe I'll take a picture of it. The problem is I don't go by that fire extinguisher on the way to the, my media spots. Oh, you don't? I always do. do you? It's the complete yeah. opposite way. I always wrap around through the tunnel. No, it's the, uh, oh, no, you're right. Because it's that other tunnel. Yeah, because yeah, the, right. you walk to the left and you'd end up right out where the, the teams go out to get yeah. to their bench. You walk to the right and you go more to the media or the you know the important people yeah. guest tunnel. 
So if you ever wonder what the inside of the spectrum looks like, there's a little bit of a preview. There are tunnels. Well, you can see that hallway in that video. It's right there. <laughs> I know. I know. Okay. Well, thanks. Thanks for uh, listening as, as always. Um, as always, you can follow us at the Statesman Sports Desk on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me at DREN underscore sports. You can follow Jason Walker at the Jaywalk67. Mm-hmm. Follow Utah Statesman at Utah Statesman on Twitter. Um, keep posted for you know these, these coming games because, I mean, things are going to be coming in hot, fast, ready to go. And uh, always got fun content coming up on coming up on uh, social media, and we're gonna be trying to break these things down in a little shorter segments, uh, putting them out more often each week. So keep make your feeds fresh. Make it easier to digest, and yeah. you can kind of segment because we had the one on women's basketball, the one on football, and none of these have been very good this week. We, just, we had to talk about <laughs> negatives, which I don't like to do. I like to be able to talk positive. Well, let's come back here next week on a Monday or Tuesday, and we'll talk about the basketball win over Nevada. Knock on wood. (laughs) Really loud. Pray for us, everyone. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Thanks.